Production. Recorded live. April the 17th, 2016, from Coolidge, Arizona. Welcome aboard today. We're in the book of John, or book of Acts in this class. And uh, we're in verse 20 of chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 20. And we, um, we gave out some charts last week. Some of you have written in and requesting uh, through email uh, copies of those, which they have been sent to you, I think. And we're always glad for people to ask for that type of thing. <coughs> um, there is one that I was going to make a couple of comments on this morning, and that's the one on spirit. We've tried to work out a definition for spirit that combines all of this usage in the New Testament. And we've listed a lot of the books, and I may have said this last week, uh, we have listed a lot of the verses where the word spirit is used. Uh, coming at the top of the list, the spirit of truth, the spirit of grace, the spirit of glory, the spirit of wisdom, and on down the line. In no case, do we take that word spirit and put a person connected to it, a person of truth, a person of grace? That doesn't make any sense. Then we get down to the last two, and I put them last for a reason on the list, uh, the spirit of Christ. Well, the meaning of spirit doesn't change because the object changes. It remains the same. It is always in the neuter gender. And so that's why we have the definition or to this right of the page. Spirit defined is the inherent. What do I mean by inherent? Can somebody answer that? Um, not, well, kind of, kind of. Inherent is. Is, is that the true nature of something? That's the true. That's what's inside. Yeah, it's it's inherent. What goes with somebody? It's like a package deal. Yes, that's right. It's that's right. It's a, the, a part. Of, it's, it's what makes somebody tick. Mm-hmm. It's the whole package. So it's the inherent characteristics. But in this case, I've added the word released characteristics because otherwise you can see it. Everybody has inherent characteristics. But until they become exposed, you know, you go to a ball game, Nolan, which I've heard you use a couple of times, and you can, you can feel the spirit of the crowd. Moving forth, I mean, just like the word itself is, is a lot of times translated as wind. Yeah, well, and that's what the word really means. It's just the, the carrier. That, that's right. It, that's true. So we say released, it means that it becomes visible to somebody else. So when we talk about the Spirit of God, it means that you've got something about God you can see. That's some part of what he is. It is an expression of his inherent quality. And as soon as you relegate that to a personal entity, you have ruined God. 
You've taken away from him who he is and left him naked. We ought not do that. And how many religions today have an empty God? Because they've made who and what he is a separate entity. They have left him empty. And folks, that's not a safe place to be when you're going to face God. The spirit of God is always what it is God is. And what he is always has a message. But it is not a separate entity. It's not a separate person. In no case is it a separate person. It is always in the neuter gender. So at the top, of the page, we have uh, spirit is the evidence because it's inherent and has been released. It now, as our theme of this chart, is now uh, the evidence that gives a person a place or a thing its identity. Now, when we start thinking about that, about spirit in that sense, and we get our minds reconditioned to thinking about what spirit is from that perspective, pretty soon a lot of the text comes to life. A lot of the Bible comes to life that has been just kind of dull and um, but takes on a new life, in my opinion. Okay, <clears throat> that, that's all I wanted to say about that. In chapter 5, verse 20 of the book of Acts, uh, they, they tell him, the angel says to those who had been in prison, this messenger, it says angel, and that conjures up all kinds of things, but folks, the, first, the word angelos simply means what? Just means a messenger, a carrier of a message. It's the carrier. What then is the difference between an angel and an apostle? Well, an apostle is one who has a message that is sent. means one sent. Prophetes, for prophet, means one who speaks for another. So anyone who speaks for God is a prophet. Anyone who speaks, if I have people take a message to his grandma, he is what? He's a prophet. He's carrying a message that I'm sending with him to his grandma. So he's a prophet. The prophets of the Bible were those who were specifically, and that's the difference, specifically sent by God for a message to whoever he has sent them to. They're the carriers of a particular message. Now, sometimes that may deal with prophecy. But anyone who speaks for another in the biblical sense is a prophet with or without the prophecy. See that? It isn't the, it isn't the prophetic portion of their message that makes them a prophet. It's that they are speaking in behalf of God that makes them a prophet. The apostles were those that were designated by God and appointed by Jesus Christ to 
to be sent into the world to establish the book of Acts and all that is contained within that book, which is the building and the establishment of the churches uh, to give them root until the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. David? Yes. What What do we need messengers and messages and and prophets and prophecy for when God just talks to people one-to-one? I wish you hadn't have asked that because that opens up a whole new rabbit trail. But, you, you, but see, he's asking a rhetorical question. <clears throat> what, which is what? Well, that renders all of those things I listed useless. It renders them all useless. We, we don't need them. We don't need prophets. We don't need apostles. We don't need one to come and explain God to us named Jesus Christ. If God speaks to you individually, we need none of that. And we would be... What's that? You better be writing it down. It's what God says. Yeah. And so, David, that's the spirit of truth, isn't it? That's the spirit of truth. And we'd all be justified in lining up and burning our Bibles. If any of these streets, any of these congregations up and down the street who believe that God speaks to people, and they all do, in one way or another... God speaks to you apart from his word, violating the very principle of the word. We would be justified in destroying this Bible altogether. Why would you want this if God is superseding unilaterally what he has given to us equally to all? You see that? It's huge. And it's usually based on emotion. And it's a, yeah, yeah, it attracts uh, a certain type of people. It becomes self-evident too if you start listening to what one person says God told me, and then the other person says what God told me, and the third person says this is what God told me, and all three different. And, and that totally negates the principle of the Word of God. That's right. And, Greg, and you can't verify it. And don't bother with any of it, because who in their right mind would, after examining that evidence? Sure. And they ought to. Yes. Why be, why be so stupid as to expose yourself to that level of stupidity? That makes you equals. Just the way that Satan, Satan planned it. I but guess. folks, that, that's exactly right, and our people have swallowed it. I mean, the, the American people, people all over the world, have swallowed into that. Now, don't go modifying that note up there. <laughs> I, just, I just named my talk for when I talk. Good for you. I Write it down before you forget it. All right, now in verse 20 is the kind of caps off what we've just been saying. Go. Why? Why should they go anywhere, Nolan? God can go wherever they go, and he can talk to all those people that they have to talk to. Why, sh- why should they go? Well, they shouldn't unless someone somewhere is lying, telling the big whopper. You got it. And I think we know who's telling the whopper. I think we know. But you see, we are no better off than those folks if we don't pay attention to what this thing says. <clears throat> and pay attention to what it says to where it has an impact on how we think and how we live. We're no better. You know, whether you have 
whether you burn your Bible or leave it in the together dust, it doesn't really make any difference. We're a Bibleist people. All right, so verse 20, go. I'm, that just knocks, that closes every door in Coolidge. Stand. Wimps? No. Don't go in there crawling, shamefaced. Stand. Eyeball to eyeball and speak. Why? Why go at all? Why stand? Why not run? Speak. Why do these guys that have been put into prison have to go out and speak anything to anybody if God is going to already do it for them unilaterally? Well, God speaks to me. And I, I don't want to harp on that, but folks, we've got to get that point through because it's got it's myriads of applications. That's thousands. All right, go and speak to the, uh, to the, in the temple. So there was a space, there was a place. And to the people who are there, to the people who are there, who have come there, come there with some idea of why. That's why. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been there. And they're on common ground there because they were all lovers of the temple. It had not yet been destroyed, was not yet destroyed for 30 more years or more. So it was still there. It's the very same temple that the disciples asked Jesus in Matthew 24, what is the sign of the things you've been talking about collapsing? They were talking about the temple. This is the temple where they are right now. That gives you some geographical identity. So speak, speak in the temple to the people And however you feel about life, oh, that's a qualifier. The whole message. What's the Greek word for message there? Words, okay? So, all the, all the words. All the words. So, the spirit-filled type people who haven't got a clue what they're talking about, who want to say that the, the Bible is dull, 
that there's more to God's message to man than the word. And yet all of life, of this life, has been put into what in that verse? Into words. Has been put into words. Huh? Is that what it says? Yeah, it had been all of the, the whole message of this life has been put into words and now you're hearing them. And those essential words are being recorded. And the unfortunate thing is that as they were recorded, they were pure. So when we believe in the inspiration and the infallibility of Scripture, we are not speaking of the translations. We are speaking of, somebody help me complete my sentence. All right, from, from the original, whether it's uh, Arab, um, Aramaic or whether it's Greek, Koine Greek, which it is in most cases. Um, but because as soon as you get man involved in the translation of those original messages, what is the potential? Bias. And do we see any bias in the scripture? Oh, yeah. That's why oftentimes the, the word spirit isn't taught in the neuter gender. It's even capitalized as if it were a person. I, I, you can find that in almost all your Bibles. The word spirit is capitalized over and over again in most translations. That's a bias. It's a bias. Beware of the biases and don't buy into the bias. And make sure that what you're hearing me say doesn't become a bias as well. It works both ways. The whole word of this life, it's more than just words. Jesus, I mean, Jesus is the word. It's, he is it's, the word. He's, it's the it's, whole... No, you can't. I'd like to see what the Greek is on this. On what? This life. Oh, okay, we can do that. Right there. The monster... Demonstrative, a descriptive demonstrative pronoun. I started to say that, didn't I? Yeah. And it's um, of this life. It means that what it says is describing life, this life, the words, the words um, of the life. Of the life. Kind of what Lana was saying as well. And that's not, not in the text either. And that is a demonstration of a bias again. They dropped the article. These aren't the words of life. Or, excuse me. These aren't the words of death. These are the words of life. Of the life. Of the life. Yeah. The life of, I mean, and this. This is, demo this is a strong demonstrative word. And it's, it's very contrasted 
it can't mean anything else than what it's related to here. It is a focused in on this life. These are the words of this life. So there's a certain type of life then, because it's the life, it's a certain, instead of being a life, it's a type of life. Well, it's, it's the life that is found that has, etern- has immortality attached to it. Okay. It's a, correct me if I'm wrong, it's a very general term. Life. Did you say? This life. It's a, it's a general term encompassing the life found the, the life found in the words of Christ, the word. Kind of hard to describe it once you start digging. But. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah. It's, um, um, and it's all the words. So could they play smorgasbord? Well, they look at it like this. He, they they couldn't have said this before Christ. Well, well they, they wouldn't have known what they said. And I'm going to deal with that in, in, on a rabbit trail in just a minute. We're going to go back to the Gospel of John. Because we haven't been getting enough tomatoes. <laughs> Even though I have my shirts cleaned every week and sent to the laundry, they shouldn't be able to get back to me in a week. <laughs> And this is the same one I wore last week because I didn't get any tomato stains. It usually takes them more than a week to get the tomato out. Folks, there's another factor here, and that is that all the words of this life spoken by the apostles can be understood. He has made every listener In the temple, all those people who have gone there voluntarily can understand those words. They're words that are understandable, not mystical. The apostles were spoken in their own language, the listener's own language. Why would it it make sense? Why have it spoken in your own language but yet it not be possible? And not be possible. They, that's, everything was understood. And that the wholeness of life is put into words. And those words to become effective have to be spoken. And they have to be spoken by somebody. Now, this side of the apostles, he has given the church the responsibility of sending out people to preach the gospel. That's the whole message of life. It's not a great mystery that's not understandable by man. It's the same explanation you get from some Trinitarians trying to explain the Trinity. Anytime you try to explain something that is not biblical, you're going to have to have a big story with it. You've got to get people's heads. You know, you know, you know the stuff in in uh, warehousing that they put on pallets and then they wrap it now with this um, plastic um, sheets. What do they call that? Shrink wrap. A shrink wrap. Yeah, they put around you know this big pallet of stuff. Well, that's what uh, trinitarianism does to our brains. It shrink wraps it. You could have a whole pallet of rotten, you know, tomatoes, 
and you shrink wrap that all up real pretty and tight, and you could tell somebody that they're brand new and fresh, ready to eat in there. Oh, and people would buy it. Yeah, man, they would know. Our that's what the good ones on the outside. Well, yeah. Our customers, but, but it works. It's our water writing and in cardboard, and then they wrap them with that shrink shrink wrap. They put what? what I, our cutter heads, our tools. Oh, you okay? They send a message to sharpening, and if you get if you if you start picking at that shrink wrap, you're gonna get cut. You don't know what you're doing, and it, it happens almost every day. Yeah. And it's it's a day you don't know what's underneath there. Well, and that's what they that's what denominationalism and sectarianism has done to the truth of the gospel. And if you start digging around deep enough, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt. And that may be providential as well, yeah. not in your business particularly, but as it relates to the truth. Now, so what does all of this little conversation do to the prevalent idea that there is something outside of words that we can attach to some kind of unilateral connection with God that gives us insight that we can't get from the Scripture. It just doesn't hold up, does it? That kills that burning in your bosom feeling. Oh. Yeah. It brings us back down to earth again. It takes... Well, it takes false emotion false, out. Yeah. Because true emotion is a response to truth. But we use emotion as the source of the truth rather than as a response to the truth. See the difference? Well, isn't it a quality of our own spirit? What's that? Emotion. Yeah, yeah it, it is. It, it comes out of the spirit. Out, out of who we are. So we and let the emotion guide us instead of our, our beliefs, the word. No. So if we let emotions take over and forget about bringing the truth with it, then we're emotion driven instead of driven by the truth of the word. Yeah, good. By the way, that reminds me, you were going to bring us an analysis of Ananias and Sapphira. Have you, you got it? Okay, let's take a break right now, folks. Don't leave. Oh, don't leave. Uh, Greg's going to bring us up to speed on uh, uh, a thought about Ananias and Sapphira. The issue here um, was whether Ananias and Sapphira died volitionally or whether they died passively. The beginning of chapter 5. Uh, yeah, earlier in this chapter. Uh, so can you everybody hear? Uh, can everybody hear, Greg? Okay. Um, the, the, the thought I had was, you know, we were looking at did God do this, or was it something that occurred in them? And we looked at the verbs there, and they seemed to indicate it that they did this to themselves. But my thought was um, that God did, in fact, maybe strike them down because of their actions of deceit, lying, and thievery in the face of the apostles, which caused or triggered the death sentence to be imposed by God. Okay. Their acts triggered that death sentence. And this may have been necessary in the early church to show that 
all that seemingly open and voluntary actions that were going on at the time are still commitments to God and once made are not to be altered because they choose to do so. Just as many of the tenets that we are that we today obligate ourselves voluntarily and of our free will, but are nonetheless a commitment to God, a prayer or a vow, that commitment that we, we make. Good. Did you all get that? You want to ask any, anybody have any questions of what, Greg? That goes back to the earlier part of the chapter. Yeah, David? Yes. Um, could Who it that? also be, I really, this is Jackie. Hi, Jackie. Hi, good morning. Um, I, I really like that, what Greg was saying. Could it also um, help to acknowledge or establish the authority of the apostles? Oh, I think definitely so. I think so. Um, and and Jackie, that is still that is still the issue today. Is the apostolic authority, and it was established back here, right then and before. But that certainly is one more thing that we uh, you add to the authority of the apostles with Ananias and Sapphira. They were the ones that read the intent of their hearts. That was done by the apostles. Remember that? Yeah, right. Yeah. So was, it, so was there a conclusion on that, Greg? I mean, still trying to figure it out. Well, did you make a conclusion? We had a debate between, you're going to do. Yeah, we, we kind of had a, l- a little <laughs> debate going on between did they do this to themselves or did God do it? Right. It, yeah, and it, it, it may have been a, a combination of those that, that, you know, their actions are triggering the, the death sentence from God through the, uh, you know, the apostles um, you know, being there to, to uh, see that the, the decision they made in their hearts and, and previously made a commitment that they had changed that without proper authority. So, uh, so it, it kind of combines the two thoughts that we had going that day into a, to, to the action. And, uh, you know, depending on that, again, it was just a thought. I also noted at the bottom of my sentence today, but I also have the right to be wrong, so let me know. <laughs> you know, uh, but he, he seemed to, to like the thought. <clears throat> but it, it combines those two thoughts. God alone did it, and, and because of the verbs that we look at in the Greek, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, Sapphira, Ananias and Sapphira did it to themselves. So it kind of combines they did it themselves, but in violation of because they know they and he committed this act, and and then in the face of the apostles lied about it. Yes. Uh, so you know that that would trigger that that death sentence. Is kind of where I was going with that. What did you say, Lana? Oh, I was just going to say that it's it's like any kind of sin. What? It's like any kind of sin. There's going to be consequences. Oh, okay, that's right. It just kind of goes along with the you sin. You're going to have the punishment that goes along with it. The fact that they had committed themselves to go along with the rest of the the group, and it was like, this is what you said you were going to do. And if you changed your mind, that was fine, but you should have said so. Yeah. You shouldn't have hidden hidden your your purpose or your your... Intention. Yeah. Along with that first law rule that we always talk about. 
fine. That's okay, too, as long as you're open about it. And that's what he says in Chapter 5. That he, yeah, he said, you folks couldn't do anything you want to do with that, but um, there was deceit, and it was in a, in intentional deceit. And you know what, with the, the thought that ran through my mind quickly, taking it beyond what Scripture says, is, is it possible that the apostles just could not tolerate that kind of flaw in the foundation of the church? Well, I believe that's true, but I believe that they were expressing God's disposition toward the purity of the church. And, and they were certainly picked up on that. And I guess um, kind of that's kind of where we want to go now. Because, you see, this, back to verse 20, and, and where I'm going to pick up on that by going to the Gospel of John in just a second, just a minute here. He tell, This is a rabbit trail now. So he tells, he tells them, the angel, the messenger, tells them to go stand, speak to the people in the temple. All the words, all the words, some of the words, the popular words, the words that make people feel good of this life. So he's talking about that the words are the core of life. Not how much money you make, not what kind of a house you live in, not what kind of a car you drive, not what kind of whether or not you have any hair. He's talking about the real, the real essence of life. What is really life? Now, in verse 21, before we go to the Gospel of John, and when they heard that, who's the they? No, not in this case. The apostles in this case is the one to whom the angel was speaking to. And when the apostles heard this, they entered into the temple sheepishly. <laughs> Early in the morning, anxious to go and taught. Now I want to take a break there and go to John. You can mark that. We'll come back to that. Maybe, if life prolongs itself, I want to, I want to read some passages in, in John because it clears up passages that we misuse because we don't pay attention to pronouns. And uh, the Gospel of John, I'm going to go to chapter 14, then 15, and then 16, and then 17. That's four chapters. But selected verses. And, and you know how fast we get through. Abner is going to be gone for a few weeks. We will be out of John before he gets back. Well, I better not say that. <laughs> I've got six minutes if I get going now. All right, John chapter 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you. Well, who's the you? Yeah, well, he's talking to, you know, in verse 5, he's talking to Thomas. In verse 8, he's talking to Philip of chapter 14. 
in chapter 13, he's talking to Simon Peter. You know, you, you've got, uh, and, and so, um, he, he is uh, talking here to the apostles. Now, if you don't get that clear, you got all kinds of problems here because you're going to make Jesus out to be a liar. The, yeah, there again. See that? That's a bias. It's not there. There it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's added. That's added by man. And notice it, it. It answers it in verse 17, but we're not quite there yet. I will ask the Father, and He will give you. The you is whom? The apostles. That's who he is addressing in this context. He's not talking to you, you. He's not talking to, to Kaipo. He's not talking to Nathan. He's not talking to Abner. He's not talking to David. He's not talking to Lana. He's talking to Philip and Peter and Thomas and the rest of the apostles. They're named in this context. Same difference. <laughs> yeah, right. It'd be same difference. If you thought they were speaking, if you <laughs> thought somebody was speaking to you, it doesn't really make any difference who it is that's speaking to you, Nathan. Right. It might as well be the people at the bar, because right. it will have the same effect, except that you won't quite feel as emotionally high. Now, I want to tear into this verse, and we've only got five minutes left. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper. Another one just like me. That word another there means one just like me. The Father will give you, whom? The apostles. Another helper. And because that word another is used, it means another one just like me. Jesus. Now, did you get that? Because I'm going to... I'm going to I'm going to point it out to you here in a minute. But remember that. And that it may be with you who's the you? The apostles forever. And you notice what's not there. It says I will make you into the age and they've transferred all of that forever. Now, if it meant today, it would have to say forever and ever. ever. But it doesn't say that. It means that into the age, into the age, the apostolic age. What do they need to help her for when they're with the Father? At the throne in heaven, they they they, 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 mm-hmm. they don't. There's no need for it. And it's not for you. It's not for me. It was for them and only for them. Now that's not the same as the propitiation or the advocate. That's a different issue. We'll deal with that before we get done here. All right. Now he tells us who that helper is. 
And I said that wrong because it isn't who that helper is, it's what that helper is. And you didn't catch me. I'm going to get mean. That, oh. Why would the comforter be masculine? Well, because it's the equal to Christ. See, the comforter, another one ties that in. It has to be of the same gender as what it's defining, describing. See? has to be in the masculine gender because it's talking about Christ. By the way, in the Hebrew, a lot of times the word spirit is in the feminine gender. And that really causes a conflict to the charismatic folks and the Trinitarians. But that is because it's been used in a different way. Let's just focus on where we are in the Greek here. And that is, that is the... The spirit of truth. And notice here that spirit is in what gender? Neuter gender. So now this comforter in masculine, which is just like me, I am going to come to you in a different form. Now, don't, get, don't jump to conclusions yet. And this is going to be called the spirit of truth. I have that the very first list on this chart, 1417, the spirit belonging to truth. So what does that tell you about truth? Truth projects something. It projects a definition of itself. It has the ring of truth. That's its spirit. So this is going to be that expression of truth that is inherent to truth, and it's going to be released. And that's why it's given to you guys. The apostles. Now, notice the whom there in the Greek, the parsing. See? See what I'm talking about? There's a bias. That whom isn't there. It's what? It should be what? Well, not who. Not of his neuter. It has to be which. Which, don't let that continue in your Bible, folks. You're cursed if you do. Or that. Well, could be. But it's a personal thing. And so in this case, it's which. Which is neuterous, not whom. And your Bibles all have whom. That means your Bible to you as you carry it becomes your curse. Because you've allowed somebody to put a bias in there and you're packing it around town. That's all right if you know it. But you've got to know it. You've got to mark your Bible. That's not there. It's not whom. It's which the world, the world cannot receive. The inhabited world. Okay. Now, let's read on. 
There, there's so much there. Because it does not see him or know him. And notice, we got to go back. we got to look at the... Um, because, uh, see, it doesn't... Uh, look at the hymn there. What's, what gender is the hymn in? What would, it think, what, what, what would you think it was in? Masculine. But what is it in? Folks, that cannot be argued. I don't care how many high courts you take it to, you cannot argue that fact. The grammar has it in the neuter. It agrees with spirit. So we know that's what it's talking about. And notice again, but you know him down below there. And again, it's got to be in the neuter because it is agreeing with spirit. It has to have concord with its object of that pronoun. Him does not exist. And you've allowed that to exist in your Bibles, in your English translation. Naughty, naughty, naughty. <laughs> you've got to get rid of that stuff. Folks, that's not the way it ought to read. And you don't know it if you don't go through and detail it out. You know, I don't mark my Bible that way because I know that. And sometimes I mess up because I forget. Which, what's that? <laughs> yeah. Which the Bible cannot receive. It is talking about it cannot receive the spirit of truth because it does not see it, that is truth, it, it, the spirit, it doesn't see that, that projection of truth. It doesn't know it, that projection of truth, would not recognize it. Now we're getting down to the nitty-gritty of what it's talking about. It abides with you and you will... Am I... Did I um, I got to read one more verse, and we got to close, folks. But but you know, you know it because it abides with you all as as corporate pronoun you all, not individuals, but with you all or among you all. But it's paras, so it's with. And and uh, he and he and it dwelleth. There's no he there, by the way. And in you, and, and again, human is a corporate pronoun because the preposition is singular and the pronoun is plural. It ought to be translated how? Among you. It is among you. Among whom? The apostles. Among the apostles. Now, verse 18, and I've got to, folks, folks I, need, I, I need a break between now and church time. i got to, you know, I get wrapped up in this, and it's hard for me to make that transition. you got to comb your hair. i got to comb both of them. <laughs> and it'll take me 15 minutes to find the first one. i got the second one tied to it, though, so I won't remember, it won't take quite so long. So we have, we have this speaker to the apostles, 
and that Jesus is telling them that he's going to send something just like himself, and it's going to be identified as the spirit of truth. Not a who, but a thing that's going to come from God's spirit to your spirit. So notice how he defines it now and changes the gender in verse 18. I will not leave you. Who's the you? The apostles. It's not Kaipo. It's not Greg. It's not me. I will not leave you as orphans. Remember what he says, I'm going to send something. I'm, it's going to come to you. Remember that? We just in, the pre, in this verse, we just got through reading it, folks. I will come to you. To whom? To the apostles. Not to anybody else. Not in this verse. He's going to come to the apostles. And his coming to them is going to be the spirit of truth. That's how when they come to the temple in verse 21 of our text in Acts chapter 5, they could teach, and we're going to give you more of what it says in John. See, this is why it's going to take a little while to get through this rabbit trail. But I'm plugging it in here because it says they taught, they, they had been with Jesus, and on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, they had, been com- they had become mature in spirit so that they could have access into the thinking of God. That's what their baptism in the spirit was all about, was to give them access into the thinking of God directly. That's why they could stand in the temple and teach. Now they record what it is they taught and they tell us about it and it has the same inspiration today. Father, we thank you for these moments together today. I thank you for the attention of the group here today and for those who may be plugged in. It's been a wonderful time and may this give us inspiration and encouragement to live this week the way we ought to live in Jesus' name. Amen.